I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, as we have prayed many times already, we are thankful. Thankful that you have not left us alone. Thankful for your word that speaks to us. Thankful for the stories of grace that are represented in this room this morning. Thankful for your son who died on the cross to pay for our debts. Thankful for his victory over death and the grave that he now shares with us. Thankful for the provision that you have given us since. Lord, I pray this morning that you would Help us to hear your word well. Lord, that you would hear the challenge, that we would hear the challenge that your word gives us to go and to share the testimony that we've been given and that we would respond. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We're going to push pause on Psalm 78 for just a moment. If you would, turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to go back. I told you last week that I was saving these last few verses of Joshua because there was an interesting connection to what what we are jumping into next. Joshua, as we looked at last week and as we have looked over several weeks, is an incredible story of God's faithfulness to His people, of His consistent actions and attitudes towards His people that He has called by His name. We've seen what He did at Jericho and Ai. We've seen what He has done in dividing the land. We've seen what He's done in providing a home for these people. And last week we saw the renewal of the covenant that God promises as a promises His people in this amazing act. He promises His people to be continually faithful to them. But a relationship like that is not a one-way street. There's a, there's a desire of God and there's an expectation that they would return that faithfulness. It's a, an expectation that's not out of order. It's an expectation of a, a husband and wife that it's not just the husband that's to remain faithful. It's both parties, right? goes both ways. And so we studied that last week. Joshua, the book of Joshua ends starting in verse 29. It says, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Tanath-Sarath, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. 
Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders without, who outlived Joshua and who had known all the work that the Lord had done for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob brought forth, bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. And it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gebeh, the town that Phinehas, his son, of, which had been given him to him in the hill country of Ephraim. So as we come to the, the last few verses of this wonderful book that we've been studying, we see, we see the passing of a generation. We see Joshua, this faithful servant who not only remembered what God had done in the promised land, but he remembered all the way back to slavery in Egypt. He had seen all that God had done through the generations. He passes away. We see Eleazar, the chief priest, who was the spiritual guidance for the people during the time of conquest. We see him pass away. We see the burial of the bones of Joseph. Joseph had, li had lived centuries before, but on his deathbed, he had made his descendants and his, and his offspring promise, do not bury me in this place. But when God takes you to your home, take me with you. And now here they are honoring that request and they are burying Joseph in the promised land that God had given them. It's the conclusion of a chapter in the story of the people of Israel. No longer are they a nomadic people. No longer are they a, a people that are wandering. Now they are a nation established in a homeland. And it's an exciting present, right? They have a home. The battles have been fought. The battles have been won. They have vineyards that they, can, that they are getting fruit from. They, are getting, they have pastures where their livestock can graze. They have homes that they live in in safety. It is a good time. And not only that, but we see in the middle verse there, in verse 31, that they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. They were obedient. They were faithful. It is good. The, the book of Joshua ends well. Except for there's a question. There's a question for the future. Because the way that that verse is worded is odd. Look at verse 31 again. It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord had done for Israel. They were obedient, they were faithful when those folks, that generation was alive. The generation that had seen all the great things that God had done. But that's in some ways kind of like saying, well, that couple was faithful during the honeymoon. Great! <laughs> we're excited that you were faithful during the honeymoon. I would expect that you would remain faithful to each other during the honeymoon. But what about after that? What about after the honeymoon? What about after all of the big excitement is over, then are you faithful? That's the question that we have at the end of Joshua. Yeah, it's a good ending. God has done incredible things, faithful things. And we know that they are obedient in the time of Joshua and in the elders that outlived him. But what about after that? 
we have the answer to that question in Judges chapter 2. Flip a page with me, or it may be a couple pages in your Bible. But go to Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Josh, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land of Israel. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at Tanakh Heres, and in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the Mount of Gaash, and all that the generation also, and all of that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Okay, so far, this is the same thing that we've seen in Joshua, right? Like it's almost word for word. But then we begin to get the answer to the question. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God, the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. And they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherah. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them. As he, the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. So we have the answer to this question. Were they faithful after that? And the unfortunate answer is no. They had been faithful in the honeymoon. They had been faithful with the generation that had seen God do great deeds. But as they continued to live in the land of Israel, in the land of promise, in the land of blessing... They had not remained faithful. We see in Judges chapter 6, we see the abandonment of God. They abandoned Him. They just left Him. They rejected everything that He had done for them. They had rejected everything that all the love He had shown them, all the faithfulness He had shown them, the salvation that He had given them in battle after battle after battle. They just walked away from Him. Like a spouse walking away from their husband or wife and just saying, I'm done. Despite all that we've been through, all that we've, I, there's some, somebody else. They just walk away. And they walk away not to nothing. They walk away to serve other gods. It's reminiscent of what Joshua had said to them when he said, choose this day who you're going to serve. It's not, a, it's not a choose God or choose nothing. It's choose God or go ser or serve these other gods. These little g-gods who don't really amount to anything. They're nothing. They're, they're imaginary. It's a ludicrous choice, and yet we see the choice made here in Judges chapter 2. They leave the God that had done so much for them and for their, for their fathers and their grandfathers, and they go to serve these other idols. You understand then, as we talk about the picture of marriage, that there's faithfulness both ways, and if one leaves as an unfaithful, now you understand the idea of why God says in the prophets about Israel being a people that is 
they're a bunch of adulterers. Because they walk away and they serve these other gods that don't mean anything. And there's consequences. You'll remember what Joshua said. He said, you're not able to do this. Remember that it is a holy God that you serve. That he will not forgive you. That he will, that he will remember what you've done. And you remember how, what we talked about. That wasn't, he, they're not say, uh, Joshua was not saying that, hey, if you screw up and ask for repentance that God won't forgive. No, if you repent, he does forgive. What Joshua was saying in, those, in that chapter was, if you sin, don't think that God's going to ignore it. And so God, being a faithful God, being a God true to his word, when Israel walks away, when they become unfaithful, God doesn't just simply let it slide. He goes after his bride. He goes after his people. He says, hey, come back. Now, he uses discipline. It, we see kind of the, the harshness of that, but it's his desire for his people. And so we have the abandonment of God, service to other God, the consequences of that. So we've got to ask the question then, what happened? Why? Why did they abandon the God of Israel? Why did they abandon the God that had been so faithful to them? Well, there was, again, the loss of a generation. This is probably one of the most clear things that's, that's presented here in our text this morning. There's a loss of a generation. The people that remembered the big events passed on. And a new generation comes up, the Bible says, that didn't know those events. They didn't experience it. You remember last week we talked that there were probably 20, 25 years between chapters 22 and then 24 and 25. Pretty big gap. There were lots of people born in that range that didn't know Jericho, that weren't there at Ai, that didn't fight in the battle of Gibeon. They didn't know what had happened. And yet we can't entirely blame it on the passing of a generation. After all, that's the normal cycle of life, right? One generation passes, a new one arises. So we can't entirely blame it on that. Part of it is the allure of the immediate, surely. It says that they looked around and they saw the other gods that were there and they wanted those. They saw a tangible God, an, an image made out of wood or stone or, or gold, and they wanted to be able to worship something that they could see. They saw the other God, the, the way that the others worshipped, and they were like, hey, that looks like fun, let's go do that. And before we begin to cast too much judgment, it's the exact same thing we do. We know the promises that God has given us. We know the, the great things that he has done in our life. We know the, the things that he has promised to us in the future. And yet we look around our world and we say, hey, that looks like a lot of fun. Let's go do that. Money looks great. Let's go. Let's get as much of that as we can. Hey, let's, let's do this and this and this and this and this. And we're like the kid who is, who is told, hey, I will give you a dollar today or I'll give you a quarter for the, every day for the next month, and we choose the dollar because it's immediate, because it looks like more in the hand. And so we grab hold of that, and we want that, and we forget about the rest of it. It's the same thing with Israel. There is an allure to the immediate, to the tangible. But I think even that doesn't describe all of it. I think what you probably see here more than anything is the lack of testimony. The phrase is not a gener just that the generation passed. 
It's that a new generation came up that did not know. They did not know. That's, that's crazy to me. <laughs> what do you mean they didn't know? They didn't know about Jericho? They didn't know about Ai? They didn't know about Gibeon? They didn't know about what had happened in the desert? They didn't know about slavery in Egypt and the plagues? They didn't know? What? Scripture tells us they didn't know. How is that possible? Lack of testimony. They weren't told. They may have been told the story. They may have been told the story of Jericho. They may have been told the story of Moses, but they weren't held, they weren't, it wasn't explained to them why that was important. Let me take you back to Psalm 78, where we started our service this morning, where we started this message this morning. Psalm 78. The very end of that, those verses that we read, verse 8. It says and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This whole, these first seven verses all talk about the need for testifying, the need for helping the next generation to understand so that they don't end up a rebellious group. Why do they walk away? Because they, had, they did not know God. They may have heard the story. They did not understand him. They did not trust him. They did not understand why it was important to listen to his commands. Again, before we jump over Israel and we look at this generation and say, what do you mean you didn't testify? What do you mean you didn't, you didn't help them to understand? What do you mean that you didn't help them to understand the commands and the importance of those commands and faithfulness to God? Before we, we jump all over Israel, let's remember, this is us. It's us. It doesn't take you long to live in Christian circles to hear the bemoaning of the people that we are losing a generation. It doesn't take you long to sit around brothers and sisters in Christ and to hear sadness in their voices of the changes that we see in the world around us. It is not uncommon for me to sit with a grandparent or a parent and for them to express sadness that their children do not love the Lord, that they don't participate in, in a body of believers They've walked away from the faith. And my heart breaks when I hear those things. And I am not uncompassionate to those pleas. And I am not uncaring to those situations. But there wells up in my heart a response time and again. Have you testified to them? Have you told them? of what God has done in your life? Have you helped explain to them what's happening and why? That's what we see in Psalm 78. We see a call to listen. 
Look in the first few verses. It says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. He says, the, the start of 78 says, listen, remember. Why? Because the first step in us testifying to another generation, the first step in us testifying to those who have not heard about Christ is for us to remember what God has done in our lives first. If you do not know the gospel well, if you do not remember what he has done in your life, then how are you going to share that? And so he says, give ear, listen to what I'm going to teach you. Listen to what, remember what God has done in your life. I love what he says here too. He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. If you know your Bible very well, you know that Jesus taught in parables. He taught in stories, right? But stories weren't meant primarily, those stories weren't primarily meant just for entertainment. They were meant for people to learn. There was, a, there was a message, there was something behind the story that we were supposed to grasp hold of. In the same way, the writer of the Psalms is saying, when we tell these stories, whether it's of Jericho or of Moses or of Joshua or of, you know, for us, Daniel and Jesus and Paul and Peter, we're telling these stories not merely to entertain. We are telling these stories because God has purpose behind them and meaning behind them. We're to give explanation, not just tell the story. So there's a call to listen and to, exp and to understand the meaning of what we're saying, but there's also the call to testify very clearly. Notice in verse 4 it says, We will not hide them from our, their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders He has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children and the next generation that they might know them, and the children yet unborn, and arise and tell their children so that they should set their hope in God. <coughs> It's called a testify. Notice the pronoun change. It's no longer I will tell you. It's no longer a, a thing of listening. But now it's saying we are going to do this. We're going to testify. If we're to reach a generation, if we're to reach a world that does not know Christ, it cannot be placed on the shoulders of one individual. It must be a shared mission. Just as no one child can go ten steps and cover this whole thing. So too, in one lifetime, we cannot reach the world. In one day, we cannot reach a generation. We must pass the baton, each one of us, to the next generation, to the next person, and the next person, and the next. It must be collective. We can't put it on the shoulders of a missionary to do it by themselves. We can't put it on the shoulders of a pastor to do it by themselves. We can't place as parents the expectation on a Sunday school teacher to do it by themselves. We all, all have a part in this. We are all given the call to testify. And again, for the next generation. For the next generation of Christians I don't want us to get too tied up here. It, it's easy for us to say, well, it's for my children and my grandchildren. And certainly it is. Certainly that's part of the call for us. Certainly we want that to be our, our mission field is our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. And that's important. 
But understand that it's not just about bloodline. It's the next generation of believers. It's the brothers and sisters that come after us. It's our children in the faith. I don't know about you, but I look back at my own testimony, my own story, and I begin to remember the people that were involved. And certainly my mom and dad were vital parts of that. But I can point to others. I can point to a Sunday school teacher. I can point to a deacon. I can point to a single person. I can point to a young married couple. I can point to a youth minister. I can point to all these people who poured into my life, who testified of the Lord to me. And I am part of their next generation. And so I have to ask myself that question. I I have to ask you that question. Who is it that is your next generation? Not just your kids, not just your grandkids. But the next generation of believers, how will they know? We do it for them so that, he says there, so that, so that what? So that they would know God. So that they would know Him. That they would know His goodness. That they would know His grace. That they would know His love. That they would know his holiness so that they would know him. We do it so that they would know his commands. That they would know how he desires us to live. Not because his commands limit life. Not because his commands shelter us from life. Not because his commands hedge us in. But because his commands provide life. It's like trying to play a game without the instruction booklet. Like there's no fun to that because nobody understands what's going on. My sister used to accuse me all the time of cheating at games. Why? I don't know. It wasn't that I cheated at games. It's just simply I knew the rule book better than her. It was available for her to read. Granted, she was two years younger than me. and I'm, but. but it was available there to read. All she had to do was read it, and then she would understand all these things that I was doing. The rules are there to make the game fun. The rules are there to make the game fair. The rules are there to increase entertainment, not decrease it. In the same way, the commands of God are there to help us to live life to the fullest, not to hold us back, or help help us to understand how to do it right. Have we told our children that? Have we told our grandchildren that? Have we told the disciples that we're making that, that these commands are there to help you, not to hinder you? Or do we just simply say, don't do that, with no explanation? So that they would know God, so that they would know His commands, so that they would set their hope in Him, the Scripture tells us. Several times in the last two weeks, I've sat with individuals or families And the common phrase has come up, I don't know how people do this without faith. I don't know how they go through the loss of a loved one without faith. I don't know how they go through a divorce without faith. I don't know how they raise children without faith. I don't know how they go through the trials of life without faith. Or even on the reverse side. I don't know how they experience the highs of life with no one to thank. 
I don't know how they rejoice in life without knowing that it was from a creator. Why then do we not testify? Why then do we not share with our children and our grandchildren? Why do we not share with those that are going through difficult times in their life that there is hope, that there is faith, that they don't have to do it alone? That there is one who walks through the valley of the shadow of death and causes us not to fear. Oh, that we would testify so that they could put their hope in him. That they would know him, that they would know his commands, and so that they would learn from the past. He ends that passage, we already read it earlier. He says, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful. We testify so that they would learn from others' mistakes. So much of Scripture is laid out for us so that we would say, hey, let's not do that. Going back to my sister, and some of you are going to tattle on me that I used her twice in a sermon. But Lisa was a great kid. You know why she was a great kid? Because she saw her older brother screw up a lot. And she went, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. We testify to the next generation. We want them to see, don't do this. It causes problems. Follow him. Be faithful to him. Know his blessing. Know his love and his compassion. Don't don't make the same mistakes twice. Which leads me to the question then. We have a call to listen to remember what God has done in our lives, to remember our salvation, to remember all the things that he has done in our life since then, to remember how he has used us in the kingdom. So the question, and then we have this call to testify. It's not an ambiguous, random call either. It's not meant for a few, meant for a special elect group. The call to testify comes to each one of us. And so we ask the question, what's your story? If you're a believer here this morning, if you claim to know Christ, then my question to you is, what is your story of grace? My prayer as well is if you hear that question and you say, I don't know, or I don't have a story of grace, my prayer is is that you would want one. That you would understand that Jesus Christ desires a relationship with you. That he, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you have thought, no matter the things that you've kept secret from other people, no matter what other people might say about you, Jesus looks at you and says, I love you and I want you. And you can have a story of grace that begins today. But for you that are believers, what is your story of grace? What has God done in your life? And I don't ask that with with no way to follow up on it. Sometimes we hear a sermon and we walk out of the doors and there's, there's things that we must ponder and we must kind of grapple with and deal with and, and then get to that place of obedience. But this morning, 
I'm going to challenge you right here. And those of you that were in Sunday school have already heard this. But we're, we're starting a new endeavor as a church for every member to take time to write out their testimony. For every member to record what God has done in their life. And so when you walk out this morning on the table back here, we talked about where the reading plans were. On that table, there is also a, a letter that gives some explanation to where we're going and what we're doing, but also a, a, a worksheet for you to work through your testimony, to write it out. And we're going we're gonna to hold one another accountable to that. We're going to ask you to submit that to the office. Again, it's not, for those of you that weren't here this morning, it's not for public viewing. We're not going to allow people to come in and just look through those. But just to hold us to accountable that, yes, I have, I have remembered my story well. And you can do that, the, you can read that letter and understand how to do that. We want to challenge and we want to encourage each one of us. Do you know what God has done in your life? And then the second question, who are you telling it to? It's one thing to know the story. That generation of Joshua who had been through Jericho and Ai and the, the battle at Gibeon and had seen the sun stand still, they had been through it. They knew their story, but they had not told it well. So we asked the question, not only what is your story, but who are you telling it to? Who are you telling your story to? Have your kids heard your story of grace? Have your kids heard your story of how he's used you in the kingdom? Has, have your kids told, heard the story of how he has taken you through trials and tribulations? Have your kids heard the stories of great victory? Have others? Who are you telling your story to? And then lastly, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? You see, we understand as believers that we are called to obedience to testify about what God has done in our lives. That we have a, a responsibility to not just keep all of the grace that God has given us inside, but to go and to tell others about it. But we also understand one important truth, that we don't save people. You don't save anyone. You act in obedience, and then God uses your obedience as a pipe or a conduit of his grace, God changes lives. So we ask the question, who are you praying for? Not just who are you sharing with, but are you praying, God save them. God change their life. God heal them. God bring them back into the fold. Bring them back to the church. Who are you praying for? Who is that name? Who is your one that you would commit to say, that's it? I shared this morning with our people that Christ tells us that we're going to bear fruit. You're gonna, you should produce disciples. Some of us produce a lot and some of us produce a little. Some of us have been given a very difficult one to share with. But Christ tells us that's enough. You be obedient with that one. To some of us, he gives us lots, and he says, go, be fruitful. We're not, told, we're not given a limit. We're not given a minimum. It's just you be obedient. What's your story? Who are you telling to? Who are you praying for? 
I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're going to enter into a time of response this morning. I mentioned earlier that a lot of times that we hear a sermon, and we need time to process it, right? Like we hear the sermon, we hear the Word of God, and we need time to process that before we make a decision or before we take action. We need to kind of, kind of go through it and say, okay, this is how it applies to me before we really take action on it. But this morning, I don't think that is needed here. I think the call is pretty clear. The command is pretty clear. Are you going to testify or not? Are you going to make a commitment to share with others what God has done in your life, or are you not? One is obedience and one is disobedience. I I just don't think there's a lot of gray area there. So this morning as we respond to the Lord, what will be your commitment to him? What will be your answer? Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we are confronted with a command that is clear and is concise. Will we testify? Father, I pray for every person that sits before me, Lord, that they would answer that question this morning. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that you would give us the strength and the grace to say, I will testify so that they may know him, that they may have hope. Father, I pray that you would remind us well of all the things you have done in our lives that we may speak of you well. Lord, I pray for your spirit, Lord, that we would have the right words in the right moments, Lord, that we would not have fear, but that we would speak in grace. Father, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would be working on their heart this morning, that they would say, I want want a story of grace. I want to know God this morning that they would seek you in that. Father, I pray this in your holy name. Amen. You can stand this morning.